Today, the Below Average Joe's MMA Show present the Weekend Preview. And we have two big cards to talk about today. Hashtag UFC Las Vegas. Trying not UFC Vegas insert number here. Yeah, true. The slap pay-per-view, or not pay-per-view, the slap finale is going on at the Apex. So they kicked the UFC. <laughs> they, Dana said, Jan, Jwali, Shwili, y'all go to the fucking hotel down the street, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So... <laughs> That's interesting. But then Bellator 292 is also going on this weekend, as is the start, Dominic, of the Lightweight Grand Prix. We're going to preview all of that. We got some fight announcements as well. All this and more, and it all starts right now. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for joining us for this preview edition of the show we are recording this a day earlier than usual because dominic along with his lovely mother and sister right am i missing yeah. anybody of that crew and a uh, sister's friend but okay big dave not making the trip no he's he's too busy handling business here i suppose <laughs> <laughs> but uh they will be making the trip to tennessee to visit dominic's lovely girlfriend Jaden. shout out to her if she's listening as she normally does um, so because of that, we are recording this on Wednesday. So if anything happens between now and Friday morning, mind your business, okay? Yeah. Sometimes yeah. these things happen. So Dominic, how are you feeling on this Wednesday? How are you feeling less than 24 hours from making the trip down south? Uh, yeah, life's good. I'm feeling excited. It's always good to take a little visit down there during this little long-distance portion so I'm excited for that, to have the family with me for this time's trip instead of going solo. It's a long drive. It gets lonely out there on the road, so we'll have some company this time. We're going to do some fun stuff, and uh, yeah, it's just all about quality time, this type of trip. I got to see things last time. Now it's just about quality time, so it's going to be fun, and uh, that's not going to stop me, though, from watching these two good cards. Really solid cards from Bellator and UFC this weekend. Good sleepers on both cards. Friday and Saturday night, it's going to be busy, but I'm going to make time. No, we've got a big preview today. How are you doing on this Wednesday? Doing pretty well, pretty well, my friend. Uh, everything is going well, getting everything in line for the big move mm -hmm. coming up mm -hmm. in just over a month. Let me ask you, Dominic, since you'll be a busy boy this weekend, will you be watching both cards live or will you have to go back and watch a little bit later? Like, How's that mm -hmm. going to work? That's a good question. We've it's like we've got plans, but we don't know when and what time we're doing mm. plans. So uh, it could be a little live action from the phone. It could be live on the couch. It could be recorded at bedtime when I'm watching. I just don't know yet. But selfishly, live would be nice. But we shall see. Maybe you can stay off that damn phone and avoid spoilers. And <laughs> yeah, also, like that's something. Feel like that's something your mom would tell you. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's hard to do, man. I know the patients, <laughs> the group chats. It's hey, so I'm hard nowadays you. to avoid spoilers. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. But um, as we said at the top, two big cards this weekend: UFC Las Vegas. It's at mm -hmm. the Virgin Hotel. Yeah. Must be a newer one or a newer theater yeah. at least. Area. Well, no, I, I think know. it used to. I think it used to be the Hard Rock. The UFC's had oh. a lot of events here, but uh, okay. now it is called the Virgin Hotel, which is uh, 
I'm just going to leave that one there. I'm not going to make a joke about that. Right um, it. Bellator, <laughs> Bellator 292. Big names across this card. Of course, the start of the lightweight Grand Prix, but Michael Venom Page on this card and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even some other guys even lower. And um, you got uh, Linton Vassal and um, Julius Anglicus is on the card. Yeah, who's the the heavyweight that's fighting Linton Vassal? Oh, Valentin Modolski's on the card. Yeah, yep, Modolski yep. fought for the heavyweight title last year. So it's a good card for sure. We're going to preview all of it. Format, mostly the same, but just slight changes here. But we do start with the UFC main event. Mm. Pewter Yacht looks to stop this bit of a losing skid he's kind of been on over the last couple of years. He goes up against the man ranked right behind him, number two versus number three here, Marab Jualishwili. And also, Dominic, what makes this a little interesting, kind of reminds me of a little Dominic Cruz versus Team Alpha Male back in the day. Mm-hmm. Peter Jan going up against the training partner, teammate, good friend of the Bantamweight champion, Aljamain Sterling, who technically has two wins over Peter Jan, one of those by DQ, of course. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Dominic, Peter Jan, a pretty big favorite, minus 255. But we've been here with Peter Jan before. He was an even bigger favorite going up against Sean O'Malley. It was a great fight. A lot of people argue Peter Jan won, uh, myself included. Mm-hmm. But Sean O'Malley ultimately gets his hand raised. That means three of his last four have been losses for Peter Jan. And I'm the guy who said Peter Jan was the pound-for-pound most talented fighter in the world. I believe around the time he beat Corey Sandhagen for that interim belt. And I still want to cling to that, even though Aljo did pretty convince. And I don't know if convincing is the right word, but he definitely won the the rematch Mm -hmm. um, and surprised a lot of people in doing so because of the way the first fight went. So Dominic, I, I mean, that's two straight losses, both where Jan was a pretty big favorite going in. My question for you is this. Can we really trust Jan in this in this place, in this situation? Or is there something about his game that is holding him back from, even though he is so talented and so good when he's on, is there something holding him back from hmm. being consistently one of the greatest in the world? Oh, man. That's a very interesting question. I, I, I want to say that there's like I want to say there's not but then you see the loss to Sterling the second one I mean and there are I don't want to say holes because he is a pretty complete fighter I'll say a couple gaps how about that I think that's a little bit more fair to say Uh, there's a couple gaps that a really good grappler like Sterling can take advantage of and I'll say this this fight with Marab a little bit even more dangerous in that realm. I think Marab's probably all in all a better wrestler, a better grappler than Aljo, at least in terms of never letting up with his pressure and pace. Like Aljo will settle to strike here and there. Marab, no. He's literally coming at you. He's going to try and pressure you against the fence. If he can't get you down, he will hold you there. It's a copy-paste every single fight. I, so, I would describe it as Marab is like the better pure wrestler, but Aljo yeah. has physical advantages. He's the much taller, yeah. longer fighter and yeah. probably has better striking and you yes. know things like that to go along with it. But continue. Yeah. No, that's 100% accurate. So it's definitely not an easy fight. 
I, I really am curious how Peter Jan's going to go about this. He, we haven't seen him since October. I mean, I guess that's not that long of a layoff. He's been relatively active. <clears throat> Ooh, it, I just, if it stays on the feed and if he keeps it at range, it seems to be an easy win for Peter Jan. But the problem is that's a big if, because we've not really seen people be able to stay away. Like, damn, give me some space, Marab. No one's really been able to do that. The closest was Marlon Marais, and that's because he had his ass on skates with one big shot as soon as the fight started. But as soon as Marab recovered, he's on him, like white on rice, like flies on shit, like all the different metaphors. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be tough. I, It's like I can't envision Marab beating Pewter Jan, but at the same time, I can see it pretty clearly if he were to beat Peter Jan, is that just weird? But that's hmm. this fight's hard for me to get a gauge on, Noah. Like, truthfully, it is. You put my brain in a little bit of a pretzel yeah. there. You can yeah. see it, but you can't see it. I don't know what. Are you high right now, Dom? Are you okay? Is <laughs> have you been? Were you were you packing some stuff and huffing it a little bit as you were putting it in your bag? I mean, uh... no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But you know what? It's the alarming thing about Jan's last few performances and this is something the signs were there that this could be an issue for him but nobody had really exposed it or you know taken advantage of it i guess is maybe the better word before i mean really the second aljo fight first one jan was basically dominating and then of course through the illegal knee and then sean o'malley to a lesser extent i thought did this as well dominic one of the strengths of Jan's game, I'm about to do a, I'm about to put your brain in a pretzel. I'm about to do the same thing you did, but with different Please words do. here. Jan's strength of his game is also the weakness of his game. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I was I'm following a, a, a more visceral act reaction, <laughs> but here's what I mean his ability to process what his uh, opponents are doing in terms of their patterns. Um, their styles, you know, what their their game plans. He is so his fight IQ is just very high. Yeah. And yeah, and you see that, you know, you look at each fight out, the longer the fight goes, usually the better he gets because yeah, for sure. he takes he's like a computer in his head and he's taking all that, he's downloading yeah. all this information about every opponent. And then by round two, round three, he feels like he has a complete read on their game and just picks them apart. Yep. Problem is even though that's a great skill to have, and that is the strength of his game, and of course he's a buzzsaw in terms of striking, and even I think has probably showed some underrated uh, takedowns and things like that. He oh, did yeah. a lot of good trips. trips against Aljo. The problem is, is that by doing that, by by kind of he's a bit of a slow starter up front. Not that he takes damage or that he's, you know, uh, hesitant to, you know exchange with the guy he's up against this isn't like a cowboy Cerrone slow mm. starter situation it's he's willing to drop a round or two yeah to yeah get a read to allow his his opponent to get into a sense of um comfort mm -hmm. and be willing to throw more and then again by doing so he analyzes all that and he's like all right I can see the patterns you know they might get a his opponent might build a little confidence, start throwing a little more, showing more of the cards, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then he goes on to sort of dominate the rest of the fight. You kind of saw it with against Corey Sandhagen. He didn't dominate that fight. But Sandhagen, the only round he won the fight, I'm pretty sure, was the 
first round or second round, mm-hmm. one of the two. Yeah. You look at that first Aljo fight. Where did Aljo's most success come from? The first round. Yeah. The rest of the way, Jan was pretty much dominating that fight. Mm-hmm. Jose Aldo, most success he had in that fight, round one. Yep. Then yep. the rest of the way, dominant. So you see, mm-hmm. that can be, you know, that's one reason why I think Jan operates a lot better under a five round scenario than three. Like the Sean mm-hmm. O'Malley fight, you know, I think that kind of cost him a little bit yep. that he didn't have as much time mm-hmm. to do his game the way that I just explained it. But that second Aljo fight was five rounds and it went the yep. full distance. And what you saw, Dom, was he did that. But then round two, like towards the end of round two, beginning of round three, right when he's ready to kick it up a notch and really let loose, Aljo was able to land a takedown. Yep, yep. And could and not get not, back up either. And he could not get back up. Mm. So he had already cost himself a round early. Yep. Now you have your back taken, you're stuck in a body triangle, you can't get out, he's peppering you with shots from your back. That's the second round gone. And yep. then Aljo got another one. And this is the problem. Jan has good takedown defense. He's not like bad off his back or some, or excuse me. He's not bad in terms of his all around ability on the ground, but he made a mistake or Aljo just was very smart with the timing of his shot there. And that immediately cost Jan a round, a round he couldn't afford to give up due to the fact that he had set himself up early to dominate these later rounds. Mm-hmm. So that's the problem I'm having with trusting this line for Peter Young, 255. I believe he's a better fighter than Marab Dwalichwili. I believe fighter, a more dangerous fighter. But one thing about Marab, you even said it yourself in the beginning of our discussion here. Marab has a motor that won't quit, and he no. will continuously, continuously, continuously shoot on you, put you up against the fence, try to drag you down. He does not get tired, Dom. He has a better cardio, a better gas tank than Aljo does. Yeah. So when Jan is trying to sort of start things off a little slow, get a read on things, Marab doesn't play that game, Dom. No. Now, he has to respect how dangerous Jan is as a striker. You saw Marab get clocked, nearly finished by Marlon Marais back uh, a little over a year and a half ago now. So he has to be concerned with that and be respectful of that. But you look at the way he fought Aldo. I mean, obviously that wasn't a very good fight, Dom. But he did not give Aldo an inch in that fight. He executed a perfect game plan. So for Jan, like you said, if he can keep this fight on the outside and pick his shots, he will dominate this fight. Problem is, I don't think that's going to happen. And that means... How is Jan going to be able to look inside the pocket? You know, what are his uppercuts looking like? How is his clinch game going to look in comparison to Marab? Meanwhile, mm-hmm. he has to be mindful. Can't be throwing too many knees to the body and stuff like that when Marab's just going to take a hold of one of those legs and drag you down. Mm-hmm. So I don't love this line. Jan's been a bigger favorite. I don't know what his line was against Aljo, but he's been this size favorite, if not bigger, yeah. in his last three fights. And the last two, he's lost. So considering the style here, I don't love it. And for Jan, it feels like a bit of a must win in a lot of ways because he's kind of stuck in this position where he's a former champion. 
He's not necessarily showing any signs of slowing down, but he's just kind of getting outworked or just dropping these fights on the scorecards. So if he loses this, Dom, I don't see him taking a huge step back in who he's going to be fighting. He'll probably end up fighting a guy like the winner of Song Yudong, Ricky Simone, or something like that. And yeah. if he does that, that's another dangerous fight against two very hungry challengers on their way up who are very good and only improving with each fight out. He needs to get this is the fight for him to get back on track. It's not a get right fight because Marab is much better than that, but it's clearly the fight he needs to win to keep his name among these top guys here at Bantamweight. We have a title fight scheduled with Aljo and Henry Cejudo. If Cejudo wins, Jan could be right back in the title picture. So a win here will keep his name among these top of the, uh, the, the division, excuse me. So I will I'll let you respond to that if you'd like. I'm just saying, I think you actually, I'm glad you brought up where Jan's kind of stance is in the division right now. Cause the more I thought about it, as you were explaining it, it's almost the same way that we've described someone else in this division being Corey Sanhagen. They are amongst the elite. They will lose fights to the best, but they find a way to stay in there because they'll get a win against number six or seven. I or and I also think it's just people believe in their talent so yes. much. Like, yes. you don't see a slide. Like Marlon Marais, you know, he went from title challenger and he just kept dropping because you just yeah. see the decline yeah. in his performances and the finishes started piling up against him. With these two guys, they look electric out there. They're putting up yeah. great fights. They're yeah. just not winning more rounds than they're losing. That's that's just yeah. the reality. That's exactly the case. So yeah, it is it it is a weird one. Like you should win, or it is a must win. But if you lose, like yeah, never it's never bad losing. But you're still going to be in the top fighting a top opponent. It's it's a weird circumstance that Jan and Sanhagen have put themselves in. And for Marab, just to touch on it one last time, I feel like Aljo is his training partner. The blueprint has been laid for Marab to win this fight, the way in which he goes about it, I think can still be in large part, pretty different from the way Aljo does it though, just because of the way that they set up their attacks. Aljo will strike and then set up a takedown. Whereas Marav will just pressure straight forward, push you to the fence, work you that way. He will work the clinch a lot more than Aljo as well. So you brought up a good point with Jan. How's he going to do in the pocket? He's a fantastic boxer, but when you're getting grabbed, your back's on the cage, what can you do with your knees can you bring some uppercuts uh, to make Marab shake off and then separate? It's going to be interesting to see the difference in how Marab treats this fight versus his best friend and teammate Aljo treated the second fight with Peter Jan. That's what I'm really Whoa. looking to see. Based off the few sound bites I've heard for the last few days, I get a sense that Marab is uh, he's very hungry and obviously very motivated for this fight. I don't know if you heard the story he was talking about uh, with Jan, mm -hmm. where um, obviously because Marav is a teammate cornerman for Aljo and stuff. He was with Aljo when I believe it was the night it was UFC 280. I believe when, uh, you know, Aljo yep. fought TJ Dillashaw, Jan fought O'Malley and apparently, you know, Jan and, um, Aljo were just sharing some words backstage, like cordially. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Jan doesn't speak very good English. So Marav comes, you know, sees him and isn't like approaching because they're in the middle of a conversation. Well, he says, Jan looks at him and says, he's small. So then um, Marav kind of walks up and was like kind of smiling at him. 
and he said you're a zero and then oh that was boy. apparently all that was uh all that was said so i get a sense that uh don't poke the bear uh yeah Yon, you know be careful what you wish for but i i do want to kind of bring up this point dominic this is normally probably something we would reserve for the recap, and I'm sure we'll touch on it if Marab were to win this fight. But Aljo is the champion. He's yep. the champion of this division. Yeah. So these two have said they'll never fight each other. They're teammates. They know each other inside and out. If Marab wins, I mean, what does he – I mean, obviously the motivation has to be there for him to like continue winning and pushing ahead. But does he really look at it like his next fight's going to be for a title if he wins this? I don't think he does. Like, which is a weird spot to be in, where you're kind of just accepting. He's sort of accepting being. Uh, it's like in uh, Talladega Nights. Uh, he's he's being the cow Naughton to Ricky Bobby for Aljamain Sterling. Like, always oh, okay with finishing in second. You know. Yeah, you want to. You don't know what I think the biggest problem is here. Follow me. Because I just had mm-hmm. all these brilliant thoughts that I'm going to try and lay them out. Marab wins. Obviously, that's a huge win streak that he's on. This is a guy that started 0-2, by the way, in the UFC and hasn't looked back since. And he's on yeah. a tear. Progressive um, up, upgrades in competition as well, fight by fight. If he wins, obviously, in terms of a win streak and the names he's beaten, he is a number one contender. However, we have a fight in May. Okay, Problem one. If Aljamain wins, these guys have made it pretty clear they won't fight one another. So that's a problem for Marab. Problem two, if Henry Cejudo wins, he's going to go try to fight at 145, more than likely, which leaves an interim title on the stakes or a vacant belt, which means Aljo probably should fight for that, which means Marab probably won't fight for a vacant or interim belt either. So option three, notice I didn't say problem this time, is that maybe, just maybe, a win here does make him a number one contender at flyweight. Because I know he's talked about it. You've brought it up before. (laughs) I don't like that necessarily, but as long as Pantoja at least gets the flyweight title shot first, I wouldn't have a problem with Marab. Should he beat Jan to go down and fight the winner of Moreno-Pantoja? And wouldn't it be just beautiful, Dom? I predicted that at the end of this year, oh, yeah, Rob would be the flyweight champion. Yeah. And you had and you gave me the the craziest stink face ever at that pick. That Not one really. you twisted my brain. That, no, I you, surpri- that. Oh, you were surprised because obviously yeah. it's like who to but Rob. Like, yeah, yeah it kind of came out of nowhere. But I just love that now you're kind of seeing the writing on the wall here. Yeah. You know, a third problem I feel like you kind of could have mentioned as well. You know, those other two are obviously the biggest factors. Uh, Sean O'Malley's going to get a title fight before him. Oh, shit. You're like, right. I totally forgot you know, about that. Even Sean. if Marab wins here and maybe is, I'm not even sure if you could say he's the more deserving because, I mean, yeah, I know he's got a longer win streak than O'Malley, but O'Malley already beat Jan and. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. We could argue. People could argue about that. I I don't have the resumes in front of me, but yeah. there's no doubt O'Malley will get the title shot before him. Yeah, because I don't foresee a world where Sean and Marab would fight for a contender spot. I don't think. I don't no, think Sean I, would I do think, that. I think Sean's holding out right now. Yeah. I think uh, yeah. not holding out, but I think he's uh, on the shelf until that next title fight's open. 
If Cejudo wins, goes up to 45, interim title fight, O'Malley versus Aljo or yep. O'Malley yep. versus someone else that pops up uh, in yep. the meantime. It could be Marab. That could be – I mean, Marab could. If Aljo loses to Cejudo, it would not surprise me, Dom, if the interim fight, if it were to happen a few months later, would be Marab and O'Malley because Aljo just lost the title. Like, who's – yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess you give him the 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 – immediate shot to reclaim it but maybe you don't i mean i don't i'm not sure if he necessarily has that kind of relationship where dana and the boys are automatically going to give him that's a, true uh, immediate rematch you know so there's a lot of ifs maybe mm. too early to speculate on all this but i thought i'd just bring it up because it, it could be if you if if you don't feel like your next fight's for that title but you're fighting the kind of competition that earned you a title fight mm. Is there something that's missing in the motivation motivated that Marab doesn't quite have on his end? Yeah, that's a really good point. I didn't even really think about motivation being a factor, but you you factor in all of those things we just said. Maybe he, like you kind of worded it, maybe he sees writing on the wall coming into this top three matchup. Mm. All right. So we're going to go ahead and get into the rest of uh, UFC Las Vegas, Dom, and we will start with the main card on ESPN Plus per usual. So the main card looks like this. Your co-main event in the heavyweight division, Alexander Volkov, a little Alexander on Alexander action here, taking on Romanov, first name Alexander. Then in your feature bout at a catch weight, 215 pounds, the main event from a couple weeks ago that fell off will be finally settled as Nikita Krylov takes on Ryan Spann, a big addition to this card. Then you got a little underrated fight between Ricardo Ramos and Austin mm. Lingo. Uh, Saeed Nurmagomedov versus Jonathan Martinez in the Bantamweight division. And to mm. open our main card at light heavyweight, Vitor Petrino versus the Pleasure Man, as his nickname, Anton Turkaj. I've always forgot how to pronounce this. Like Tur Turkaj, Turkaj or something like that. Yeah. Um, you probably won't be talking much about that fight. So, Dominic. What kind of sticks out to you immediately about this main card that you're also excited for? This is a really fun main card, I will say. Um, I know that you probably want to talk on one based off of what we were talking about this weekend. So I'll touch on the big boys, actually, first in the co-main. Alexander mm -hmm. versus Alexander. Romanov, of course, doesn't have the E before the R in the first name. I don't know, kind of weird. Sure Dog has the E. UFC and the other websites don't have the E, so I'm going to say it's not with the E, but it's neither here nor there. He's a pretty good favorite coming into this. He's minus 150. It's by far his biggest jump up. Volkov's been in there with basically every single top heavyweight at this point for the most part. He's ranked number eight. Romanov is ranked number 14. He's going up against a very, very good one uh, was one-dimensional fair to say Volkov? Like a very good, solid kickboxer in Volkov. Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a solid fighter. I mean, yeah. he's a former, isn't he? The, he's a former Bellator, Bellator champion. champion, right? So. Yep. So I just wonder here, because I've had such an interesting relationship with Romanov. He had the nut shot thing that I kind of really did not like and kind of came off the train. But since then, he's rallied off. Uh, many good wins, and now he's kind of in the rankings, making a name for himself now. He did lose his last fight to Marcin Tibura, however, one that is forgettable. It was a majority decision, not much great action there. So can he bounce back after his first professional loss against someone that I would say 
is still a better fighter currently than what Marcin Tibera is and Alexander Volkov. Can he nullify those long limbs, the long reach of Volkov? <laughs> Can he close the distance and get um, Volkov down to the ground? I don't know. I think it's a hard question. If he gets it there, though, he probably dominates. He gets a top 10 win, and he uh, kind of writes the ship uh, on the streak that he was on prior to his last fight. So I just think that's an interesting one because I feel like all of the potential that I've not thought and thought at the, <laughs> was there for Romanov, it's all going to show itself here. If he loses, mm. I know where he's at. If he wins, I know where he is at. Yeah, being in being in this co-main spot, he clearly has the platform here to make a statement and show that he is who a lot of people thought he was and that he has righted the ship, like you said. I'm not super confident in that. I'm not saying he won't win this fight. I think you said he's even favored to do so. But um, Bulkov is an interesting just matchup in this heavyweight division. He's very tall and lanky, a little bit on the skinny side uh, due to that length. Um, which makes him a bit vulnerable to guys who are able to kind of clinch him up, push him against the fence, drag him down, a bit vulnerable to some of the heavy hitters in this division. You remember Derek Lewis uh, putting him lights out at, after putting on a great performance for the first two and a half rounds. Um, but he is a bit limited. I mean, he's kind of like a – honestly, Dom, is it safe to say, now that we've kind of seen what we've seen the last few weeks – He's sort of like a like a B-rate version of uh, Cyril Gaon in a lot of ways. Like, obviously the striking styles are a lot different, but you know, not a guy that has a ton of grappling and mm -hmm. a guy that is kind of capable of being bullied if you're able to close that distance on him, mm -hmm. um, which is what I expect Romanov to try to do. Now, the guy that Romanov lost to also lost to Volkov. MMA math doesn't work that way. But what Volkov did a good job of in that fight was keeping distance, peppering with the jab, and mm -hmm. keeping on keeping his footwork moving. Yep. So could he replicate that against Romanov? When you look at the fight Tibera and Romanov had, it was very clinch-heavy. A lot of action up against the fence, or lack of action, really. But that's where the majority of the fight was taken. It was a lot of stuff up against the clinch and up yep. against the fence. If Volkov is able to stick to a smart game plan like he did against Tibera, I could see him pulling off the upset here. But it's just hard to know with like Volkov. Like he's capable of putting on these really good performances like he did against Overeem. And then, you know, he just looks, you know, like he did against Aspinall, where he just gets yeah. kind of steamrolled. It's just yeah, not a not a ton of consistency for either guy here. So it's really not one that I'm probably gonna be putting much action on. But the fight that I'm most excited for. Yeah. Outside of the main event. Yeah. Also in that bantamweight division, speaking to yeah. the level of talent we got in this division. Uh mm -hmm. Said Nurmagomedov, Jonathan Martinez is a mm -hmm. uh that's an epic fight. That is a fight that is just I mean, that's so gonna good. be a delight to watch. Said Nurmagomedov, a much striker, uh, more of the striking version of what a lot of those Dagestanis kind of bring to the table. Obviously, he's good everywhere, but he's he's definitely has introduced more of a striking element to that camp. For sure. Jonathan Martinez got some of the best leg kicks going in the game today. That's how he finished Cub Swanson in his last fight. And he's a guy who kind of had a rough start, or at least a rough patch of his career. I mean, not even all that long ago, he was sort of like a 3-3, three and three, kind of 500 guy. I got knocked out by Davey Grant. 
But yeah. he's bounced back big and is looking severely improved. I mean, massively improved each time out. But Saeed made all is a killer in this Bantamweight division. So I'm just excited to see it. I think it's going to be hard-hitting. I think it's going to be brutal. I could totally see it going the distance, but neither guy's going to come out of there walking the same if it does. Yeah, 100%. You couldn't have said it better. This is, like Noah said at the very beginning of this fight, it shows you the depth and how good 135 pounds is across the board. (laughs) Um, So it's going to be awesome. It's going to be a delight. Both these guys, too, have just had during their respective, both of them are on four fight win streaks. Funny enough, progressive steps ahead. Each one, uh, the last two Vince Morales and Cub Swanson for Jonathan Sergio Cobb, Kokoranov and Douglas Silva de Andrade for uh, Saeed. So this is a good one. And the winner of this is, I mean, Saeed was ranked at Bantamweight at one point. Now he's not going into this fight, but the winner of this deserves a top 15 fighter next. It's a sick fight. It's going to be a high level fight. It is the second best fight on this card. I would agree with you for that, Noah. Anything you want to say about Krylov's span? I know we already previewed it technically yeah. a couple of weeks ago. I guess my question for you is, Krylov had an illness that prevented him from competing in that main event. Yeah. But, I mean, we assume that he's all good now. Uh, both guys not having to cut back down to 205, which I'm very happy about. Yeah. But 215 may still be a cut. I'm not sure. Ryan Spann's a massive guy. He's so, so big. Yeah. Uh, anything that maybe people should be prepared for with that fight? Like, is either guy going to come in a little compromised, being so close to their last weight cut? Or what, do you, what are you kind of thinking there? Well, I think that's a really good question because the odds have stayed the exact same, as if nothing ever happened. Oh, Nikita okay. Krylov, minus 170. Ryan Spann, plus 145. I had a lean on Ryan Spann a couple weeks ago, and I'm keeping that lean. I will be playing Ryan Spann here in this I'm one. a little shocked, Dom, that, that yeah. the odds did not change just because yeah, you would think with that illness thrown in and stuff, yeah. maybe people would be like, oh, okay, wonder if he's going to be at all compromised because who knows how – if the illness kept him out of the fight, I mean, I imagine he couldn't train while being that sick. I don't know how yeah. long it lasted, but, you know, it's something uh, that definitely makes me uh, like your lean a little better this time than I did the first. Yeah, and you got to think 10 extra pounds, that's got to benefit Ryan It's got to favor Ryan Spann, <laughs> yeah. especially yeah, when they're... you talk about the chin and stuff holding up. Yeah, exactly. And when you factor in his power, we're talking about a guy that knocked out Dominic Reyes with a jab, <laughs> and he has six submissions, by the way, as well. So there's just, I know both guys are kill or be killed, and they go out and finish fights, and it's going to happen here in this one. Of course, this is now three rounds instead of five. I don't think it's going to matter much. But uh, yeah, I, I like Spann significantly more than what I did two weeks ago with that extra weight. We might have just talked myself into hopping on that train with you. I don't know. I don't know. Um, As far as the prelims go, also on ESPN Plus, your prelim headliner at heavyweight, Carl Williams taking on Lucas Bresky, I believe is how you pronounce it. Back to the Bantamweight division we go. Rafael Asuncao, the former Bantamweight contender, takes on Davey Grant. Then you got Cedrique's Dumas taking on Josh Fremd. Coming off of being just one of the nastiest chokes he received by, uh, oh, what's the, oh, do you know who I'm talking about here? It it don't matter. It don't matter. But, um, yeah, that was, yeah, that was a nasty choke that he had on Josh Frem. So he's looking to bounce back here. 
Mario Bautista taking on Guido Canetti. A lot of Bantamweight bangers in here. Yeah, yeah. Women's flyweight Ariane Lipsky taking on J.J. Aldrich. Dominic having some interesting thoughts about that fight. Uh, Victor Henry <laughs> taking on Tony Gravely. Another Bantamweight banger. Yeah, that's And then sick. to open the card at flyweight, Tyson Nam taking on, or Nam taking on, Bruno Silva, no, not the Bruno Silva who fought Alex Pajara. This is the flyweight version. So yeah, yeah. Dominic, uh, what jumps out at you from the prelims? The first one I'm going with is the band. The there's so many bantamweight bangers. That's perfectly said by you, Mario Batista Guido Canetti. That's violence. Ooh, that's fireworks, okay. and it ain't gonna last too long. Mario Batista's minus nine seventy five. Okay, he's the biggest favorite on this card. <sighs> Biggest favorite on this card, he's a young stud who's coming off two straight subs, Brian Kelleher and Benito Lopez. Problem is, Guido Canetti, what is he now, 43? It don't matter. Chris Mutino, yeah, take what you will with that one. But then sub, uh, submitted Randy Costa. The guy was on a three-fight skid, all by finishes. Now he's on a two-fight win streak, all by finishes. I don't know if anybody out there is going to play Guido Canetti, but the under's hitting in this fight for sure. I just think regardless of Guido's age and the the back and forth wins and losses, this win, should Mario get the win, I almost got ahead of myself there. I think he's going to win, but I don't want to go out and say it like that. This is a good one for Mario to really just solidify where he is amongst the Bantamweights and really take a next step up if he can finish Guido Canetti. I think that's just going to be a really fun, violent, and quick fight. Well said. I'll take the other Bantamweight banger, one of the other ones on this prelims. Uh, give me a Sun Sal versus Davy Grant all day. Now, this is a fight I probably would have been less excited for if I hadn't seen what a Sun Sal showed against Victor yep. Henry. Yep. I mean, talk about taking a, taking the old dog out behind the shed and the dog turning that shotgun on you, motherfucker. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what that's, happened. That was the situation. Old Yeller turned that shit around and said, uh-uh. Yeah. Not today. And Dominic, you know, I like Davey Grant a lot. And I don't think his record in the UFC is indicative of his talent. Mm -hmm. But the reality is he's 5-5, five and five, I believe, in the UFC. Yeah. yeah. A lot of close fights. Some, you know, couple, you know, at least one decision that felt like could have went his way but a sun south fought some of the best of the best of this band and weight division you know the losing skid was definitely there and definitely still a factor as his age is as well i could see davy grant finishing this fight on the feet he's got great power he's got very good timing on his strikes but it wouldn't surprise me dom if a sun south continues this little twilight phase of his career and gets a win I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Could end very quick. Could go all the way to the whole 15 minutes. Not a one I'm probably going to put much money on, yeah. but I'm going to have fun watching it. Yeah, and uh, Noah, back to Bantamweight we go because I'm taking the third Bantamweight banger on the prelims, and it is Victor Henry returning after his loss to a Sun Sal versus Tony Gravely. It was weird because Victor Henry came into the UFC, and I there were a lot of people, at least in the Twitter space of the MMA world, talking highly of Victor Henry. Even though he was at the time would have been 34, now he's 35. And he had a pretty much one-sided decision victory over Heoni Barcelos. If you're doing that in your UFC debut, that said a lot. And it did. It said a lot to me. But then, when he pretty much lost a pretty convincing decision to Rafael Sunsau, who was on a four-fight skid with three via finish, it's a little worrisome. 
So it's a very interesting one-and-one record in the UFC. Tony Gravely, on the other hand, is someone who is super durable. He is well-rounded. I don't think he gets the respect he probably deserves with his all-in-all skill set. Yeah, he's not fighting a bunch of killers, but he is fighting good competition. Nathan Manis and Javid Basharat are his last two losses. Oh, wow. Squeezed in between there are two really good wins, one of them via knockout against Johnny Munoz, who was highly favored in that fight. And I know that because I bet on Johnny Munoz. But again, <laughs> we'll put that aside. I think this is a really good, really well ma- like well-made matchup here with two just solid guys but are kind of just where do they belong in this back half of the Bantamweight division with a win, where do they belong? So depending on the way in which the winner comes out of this one is going to give me some confidence, at least I would like to think. And there's the line scrolling across the bottom. Minus 140 for Victor, plus 120 for Tony Gravely, who is always coming in as a betting dog, and he showed that it doesn't affect him. So I just think that's a really underrated fight between two underrated fighters, and I just want to see where they go from here. Yeah, I wouldn't be too worried about Victor Henry. I mean, he's only one and one in the UFC. He does have a lot of experience outside the UFC, which maybe led to you or some of those people you were talking about on Twitter to believe that he might be uh, more ready for the big lights, the big show, whatever. And his debut, he looked great. Um, And Hayoni Barcelos, especially at that time, was still fighting at a very high level. Um, but I think he just ran into a little bit. He bit off a little more than he could chew mm-hmm. in his second outing. Yeah, he has a lot of experience outside the UFC, but there's a difference when you step yeah. up to a UFC level. I know a Sun Sal had the big losing streak, all of them the killers, by the way. And he ran into a guy that was older, that had more experience, that had a higher fight IQ, and that's exactly what a Sun Sal did to get that win. Again, it's not an easy fight to follow that up, against Tony Gravely, and, you know, I don't love Victor Henry as a favorite there. I kind of like Gravely in that spot because, again, you follow up a fight where Henry sort of got outmuscled. Mm. His IQ seemed to fall lack compared to Sun Sal, and you're going up against another guy who has more experience and also has the capabilities to bully and outstrength uh, Victor Henry. I don't really love that, uh, but that's very simplistic view of the of the matchup here. I'm not sure where I'll lean on that, but I kind of like just going with the underdog in a fight where it feels very 50 50. Mm, that's kind of yeah. the thing I do sometimes. So yep, yep. I could see myself betting on Gravely, but I don't think even a loss here would necessarily spell the end for Victor Henry. I just think you have to t- take a step back. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that's, that, w- that would be the lesson. I like that. I do. Anything else, Dom? Because I think I'm ready to move on to Bellator. How about you? That's all I got. All right. So we'll talk about the Bellator Lightweight Grand Prix. Obviously, we're talking about uh, Bellator 292, but I think it's only fair, Dom, that we kind of previewed this entire Grand Prix that people are going to be watching the next few weeks. I mean, uh, not sure if you realize this, Dom, but Bellator sure ain't uh, telling people (laughs) they need to be watching. So eight-man Grand Prix here. Uh, this weekend, you'll be seeing Usman Nurmagomedov, the champion, the lightweight champion, make attempt to make the first defense of his title against the former UFC lightweight champion and now Bellator veteran. Actually, I believe has fought more times under the Bellator banner than he did in the UFC. That's crazy. And Vincent Henderson. And then also on the other side of the bracket, you got Tofik Musayev, 
taking on Alexander Chablis. That's another Alexander that does not have the E, <laughs> the ER, just the R. So those are two great matchups, but also next to Nurmagomedov Henderson, you've got Brent Primus, who's a late replacement uh, to this bracket, replacing Sydney Outlaw, who tested positive for about 27 PEDs. Oh, boy. Going up. <laughs> Going up against the Barnawi, Barnawi, I believe. And then next to Musayev Shabli, you got Patricky Pitbull taking on AJ McKee, a date for that fight, TBD. Primus Barnawi, May 12th in Paris, by the way. So um, a bit more scattered uh, these fights are than what we expect from Grand Prix. Typically, you put like two on one card, and then like the next week or a couple weeks later, you got the other two. But, hey, we get two on this one. I'm not going to complain about it. But, Dominic, the matchup everyone expects to see at the finals. It's set up perfectly for it to happen. Usman Namagamadov versus AJ McKee. That's the fight that everybody wants. That's the fight that everybody is expecting to happen. So, to start the conversation off, who on this bracket is the most likely to make that upset and not give people the fight that they want? Oh, well, betting odds wise, it would definitely be Benson Anderson at plus 1100. But no, overall, man, I, you know, I'm going to say it here because he's in the co-main event slot. I like Tafik Musayev. Yeah, he's had too. one fight in I Bellator like so much. and he finished Sydney Outlaw in 27 seconds. He's 20 and four. He's in his prime at 33. He has a wealth of experience and rise in prior to coming into Bellator. And Noah, not is not only am I seeing him as an underdog to make a run and potentially win this thing. He's an underdog this weekend. He's plus 125 against Alexander. Uh, is it Shabley? Shabley? I think it's Shabley. Shabley. That probably makes more sense the way it's spelled. Okay. Sh- uh, Shabley. And uh, I tell you right now, I'm going to bet on Tafik Musayev. I- I'm taking him at underdog odds because it's, it's just a guy that I don't see getting underdog odds uh, that often. But who am I kidding? If he wins this at underdog odds, then he, I don't know how the, is he on Usman's side, you said? The winners of these yeah. two fight each oh, other? Oh, no, 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 sorry. The, no, no, no. The, okay. Musayev Shabli would fight the winner of Patricky Pitbull, AJ McKee. Oh, my goodness gracious. That is super exciting to see there. Okay, That yeah. side of the bracket, um, uh, yeah. to be honest. Is oh, very man. Sad. It feels like Usman Namagamadov, I mean, no offense to Brent Primus, Barnawi, Henderson. It feels like Usman Namagamadov has a bit of an easy road to the final there. Yeah, yeah. I Can mean, I give look, you my hot take? Because sure. just to build off of what you said about Musayev, um, I think the winner of that fight, Musayev Shabli, that's who I'm taking to win the whole thing. Oh, so. yeah. There you go. Because okay. I actually, I don't hate, like, I think taking Musayev is good, like, it's because he's the underdog. It's a bit of what yep. I just said. Yep. But uh, Alexander Shabli, Dom, that dude is not to be trifled with. Mm-hmm. Another just top notch lightweight in this division. And look, I think Usman Nurmagomedov is so talented, so good. AJ McKee, I mean, we were talking about this guy in uh, in terms of how many ranked top 10 UFC featherweights he could be just a year ago. Yeah. But I look at the winner of that fight as being the, the unsuspecting challenger that's going to come in and make that almost Daniel Cormier strike force heavyweight Grand Prix type run that nobody sees coming and they run through all the top names. I really don't expect to see Nurmagomedov and McKee in the finals. I think something's going to be shooken up. Yeah. yeah, I really like what you did there. Took mine, added an extra uh, layer to it, and I actually might have just talked me into it with you. And when you add in, when you know 
Chablis has just come off of a TKO win over Brent Primus. I mean, he's had competition yeah. in this Grand Prix and he's beaten him. So I, I, yeah, this is a really high level fight between those two in the co-main slot. Uh, we'll see and how the other big, side fares. And, and just the guy who was in the spot before Primus, Sydney Outlaw, yeah. was knocked out in Messiah's yes, exactly. debut in 27 seconds. So, yeah. So that that's that's the fight of the first round matchups for me, even over AJ versus Pitbull or the Pitbull brother, I should say. So, yeah, I'm here for it. And what I mean, I just have to ask this because of the betting odds. Usman's minus twenty one hundred. Thoughts? Well, I mean, it's it's obviously super steep. And I mean, like. Should anybody bet on that? No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Will there be? Probably. There'll probably be <laughs> someone. You'll see a tweet come up. So and so bet Usman Namaga made off money line $3 million <laughs> to win $3. Like, I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Um, it feels a little disrespectful to Ben to Bendo. It does, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that what isn't it? for some reason I'm thinking of Dan Henderson Hendo. I was in Hendo. Hendo. <laughs> I think they're called Bendo, right? I don't know. Well, if they don't, uh, we do. <laughs> Benson Henderson. Uh, former UFC champion. However, Dom, you know, in, in Bellator, he's seven and six. I think he's been a bit of a 500 guy, but he is coming off back-to-back wins. And I think, you know, you look at the win he had against Peter Queeley. He looked very good there. Before that, I think the most impressive win of the two, Islam Mamadov. That was a split decision, but I just think Mamadov's a better fighter than Peter Queeley right now. Yeah, yeah. So he's still showing to have a little gas left in the tank. But a little gas left in the tank, I don't think, is going to be enough to overcome mm-hmm. Usman Nurmagomedov. Now, I don't think the odds should be as steep as they are because Dominic Usman Nurmagomedov is an exceptional talent. Uh, he's the favorite to win this whole thing. He should be. What I was kind of saying there about Musayev Chablis is not necessarily me thinking that they are a better fighter than Usman Nurmagomedov. It's just upsets happen, and I yep. could see the – you look at Nurmagomedov potentially getting an easy path to the tie, the championship a bit untested. You know, his win over Patricky Pitbull left a little bit to be desired, played it safe a little bit. Yeah. Uh, those two guys ain't going to play it safe. So yeah. that's just, that, that's sort of why I'm leaning that way. And I could change when that time comes. I do th- wonder if it, the, the inflated value of those odds has a lot to do with that last name. I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of saying that. I, I do believe he's very good, like very talented, extremely talented. We've been talking about this guy forever when he was dominating, you know, your neighbor, someone's neighbor on the prelims, you know, mm-hmm. like Bellator likes to do. But I, you're talking a minus 2,100 against Benson Henderson. I mean, for all we, I mean, he probably will go in there and destroy him, but I feel like this. <laughs> I mean, that's really, really – I mean, you're acting like this is the best fighter Bellator's ever had. I mean, he's not yeah. there yet. Yeah. You know, I I don't know. I don't love – I don't love that, but for all I know, he's going to go in there and – I mean, if someone said John Jones was a minus 2,100 against Ghana, I would have said that's absolutely fucking nuts. Give me gone all day. Yeah. But then Jones made it look like that. So if, if Usman makes it look like that, I can't say anything. Do you almost feel when there's odds this big, especially when you're an undefeated fighter, you're a newly crowned champion uh, in Usman. Is there pressure for him to go in here and have like a big performance rather than just getting by and beating Benson? You know, I don't know if fighters really, I don't think betting odds wise, they really care. Like, I don't know if they really pay attention to betting odds. 
Maybe they do, but I mean, unless you're James Krause, I guess you're probably not really paying attention to that stuff. Um, so to really answer your question, is there any pressure on him here? I mean, I guess there is because he's the champion now. This is his first title defense here in this tournament, this eight-man tournament. Benson Henderson, you know, former champion for the UFC. I'm sure there is a little bit of pressure, but these guys are just built different, Dom. Yeah. These guys, they come from the Agastan where, you know, in a lot of ways, that's like the, you know what they say, the dark side of the moon. This, that's the dark side mm. of the planet. Yeah. You know, that's the planet that that land that's the that's the side of the planet that people never you know th there's no tension over there right you know they just are hard working yeah and just grit and tough yeah. fucking guys yeah. and they all grew up together in this yeah. in that scene and just worked and worked and worked and this is what you're seeing now they're taking over the sport so yeah mm. um i expect him to make pretty easy work here of benson henderson but you know I, I do think there is a little bit of, if anything less than that, anything less than a quick victory would feel a little disappointing. I mean, I really yeah. thought he would do that against Patricky Pitbull. And As did really I, yeah. yeah. And Patricky Pitbull is better than Benson Henderson. So, yeah, okay. You kind of see what I'm saying there. Like, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. if he doesn't do it against Benson, then I'm really going to be like, okay, this guy's good. He's really good but maybe pump the brakes on giving him these inflated odds. Yeah. Cause eventually if he's going to be like a minus 400, 500 against a guy like Musayev, Shabli, AJ McKee, there's a good chance I'm going to take the other yeah. guy just because I think that's a bit inflated. Yep. Well said. Great description. Um, so, I mean, anything else on those two fights and then we'll kind of touch on the rest of the card. I mean, we it's pretty much all that's left to be said, right? Yeah, man. Just uh, you might have said it, but when are the other two matchups? If you so you it? got uh, Primus Barnawi is May twelfth in Paris, and then uh, Patricky Pitbull AJ McKee is TBD as of now. Okay, so, so I get what you're saying with kind of like why they're spaced out. Yeah, that's yeah, weird. I, I'm assuming that they're doing Patricky Pitbull AJ McKee as the headliner of its own card. Yeah, it just yeah. seems a little weird to not put Primus Barnawi on the same card. Yeah, have him. But I believe Bardnawi, I believe is he's from Paris because remember when Bellator did that Paris event mm -hmm. in the fall and the card was like super weak and we didn't even cover it. Well, he was the headliner on that. Gotcha, so, gotcha. I think that was a Paris card. I could be wrong, but I think that might be where he's from. So that's probably why they're doing that. But okay, hopefully they. I mean, you got to think that fight's going to happen. That might be getting announced here soon. You got to think it's like at the latest early July. Yeah, like you feel like they'd want to keep him on a relatively similar <clears throat> schedule, these guys, but it was just curious. Yeah. Uh, so as far as the rest of Bellator 292, Dom, I'm going to go down the main card for you real quick. You can kind of tell me what sticks out to you. Four-fight main card. We already talked about two, so that leaves us with Valentin Moldovsky, the former heavyweight title challenger, taking on Linton Vassal. And Michael Venom Page is back after uh, losing a very close decision to Logan Storley for the interim belt and then going and uh, having a bare-knuckle fight with uh, oh, yeah. Mike Perry that I actually thought was pretty fun that he lost, actually, funny enough, because Mike Perry is about it. Anyways, he's fighting Goichi Yamauchi, a very talented guy who in Bellator has, I think he's one and two. He's very He had a very accredited record coming in and it feels like he's sort of disappointed up to this point 
So, Dominic, between those two fights, I guess, which one is the one that you're more interested in, more excited about? No, I think it has to be MVP and uh, Yamauchi. I think this is a really good fight. Um, what what are the rankings are? What is it? Uh, number two versus number five, too. So there are definite inf- implications here. Yamauchi's coming off of a KO victory over Neiman Gracie, yeah. by the way, which is just uh, a huge for him. You I believe that's only like his fourth KO in his entire career. So, I mean, he's... Yeah. Uh, He's not a guy that's known for doing that. Typically, a guy that chokes you out. So yeah, twenty-one wins by sub. So I, I think this could definitely be a fun one. Yamauchi's on a bit of a streak right now. He lost one, but he's won three straight now. Even Chris Gonzalez was one of those. Can MVP bounce back? He's always been. We've had so many like interesting discussions uh, revolving around MVP's career and like just questioning the level of competition or the pushes in which Bellator was doing for him. He had the loss to Douglas Lima in his biggest uh, you know, opportunity. Then he went back down and kind of worked his way back up to the top. He beat Douglas Lima the second time, but then lost to Logan Storley by split decision. Yes, it was close, but a loss is a loss. So can he bounce back here? He's been active, like you said. I mean, shit, he went and had a little bell, um, bare knuckle action. This is going to be a fun one. I almost look for Yamauchi to like, press a pace here. Can he make Venom Page uncomfortable? Because Michael is just so... You, you kind of just know what you're going to get with Michael for the most part. Like he can finish when he wants to, but it, he's not necessarily always looking for it. He's very high fight IQ. You know, he's not afraid to have a hmm. doll fight because I feel like the guy just wants to win. And Yamauchi is nonstop action. I really like this matchup. That's amazing. I actually think I have the complete opposite evaluation of Michael Venom page. Like, I think that guy's always looking for the finish. I mean, I think that's all he does is look for highlight reels, actually to his detriment. And then in terms of fight IQ, I think that might be one of his weaker points of his game because, you know, he's a guy that like, he's been caught when he's trying to get, he's he's trying to be flashy. He's trying to be a little cocky in there, trying to put on a show and it's cost him a time or two. And you look at like what Logan Storley did to him in their fight uh, without landing virtually any damage was able to take, three of those five rounds. I know, you know, that was a debatable decision, but um, not having the wherewithal to stay on his feet. And I think um, that could cost him here because he is who he is at this point. He's a very exciting fighter. He's a very intriguing fighter to watch. He's always a guy that's going to be top of the bill, a guy that you tune in to watch. But is he much more than that? Is he actually you know, one of the top guys in the company. I don't think he's ever quite been that, and I'm not sure if he ever will. He did say, though, Dom, that with the win, he expects to fight for the title against uh, Yaroslav Amosov next, which Mm. be careful what you ask for. That's all I'll Uh, say. Yeah, I'm I'm fine with actually the winner of this fight in general uh, being next, to be honest. I mean, when he fought (laughs) Logan Storley to a razor-close split for the interim belt, Logan Storley just lost, obviously, to Amazov, so he wouldn't get an immediate rematch. For Yamauchi, if he beats MVP, that's his biggest win yet. It would be four wins in a row, with the latter two being Gracie, then MVP. I like this as a number one contender fight, actually. I'm glad you and said I, de- I definitely had a brain fart when we started talking about this fight. I was thinking of Goichi Yamauchi and Dovledzan Yakshimuridov. It's like the... I flipped them. Gotcha. So. Gucci Yamauchi's been in Bellator a very long time and yeah. is 
He's good. Still, everything else I said about him applies. Yeah. Like, yeah. very good. Great submissions. Yeah. That's going to be his weapon of choice here. But again, MVP might be just too quick, too electric, too fast for it. Yeah, this could be fun. As far as the prelims go, got a few more fights on here. Eric Perez, former UFC Bantamweight, taking on Enrique Barzola, coming off of Mm -hmm. his uh, stint in the Bantamweight Grand Prix. Josh Hill taking on Cass Bell. Got a couple – there's some fights on here where it's like guys making their pro debuts or close to their pro debuts. So you got like Khalid – Murtazai Laev. <laughs> that was a tongue twister. Taking on Tony Johnson. Julius Anglicus taking on Dovletzan. Yakshi Muradov. Laird Anderson taking on Rogelio Luna. Theo Haig or Haig taking on Adam Wamsley. And Dupree Stewart taking on Dimitri Georgiades. All in all, pretty good pronunciation there. No, you battled through Dom, that one. Dom, you always say that, but that's because you don't know how to pronounce them either. I feel like if someone who was from, who speaks that tongue or knows yeah. that name down pat would see that, they'd be like, what the fuck is he saying? Very true. Very true. Just let me give you a pat, a little pat on the back. Pat on the back. I, I will just mention for the prelims, the fight that kind of stands out to me is Anglicus Yakshi Muradov. I think that okay. fight should be a lot of fun. Um, Yakshi Muradov. Kind of like what I was saying earlier, a guy who had quite the career before Bellator, at least a bit more credited than your average guy coming in. But it's not been, you know, smooth sailing. You know, he made his debut, I believe, for the company against Corey Anderson in the uh, light heavyweight Grand Prix. That did not go very well for him. But he has bounced back. Julius Anclicus was a late replacement or whatever you want to call it for the light heavyweight Grand Prix. was a guy that came in. Uh, fought for a title technically against Vadim Nemkov. Came up short. He's been in some fun fights. Uh, I think that one should be pretty fun. And it's pretty deep on the prelims. I mean, considering like guys above them, you know, do not have near the experience of these two. It's interesting. Yeah, I almost wonder if they're doing those like post limbs and stuff again. I've noticed sometimes when they do those the listing on sure dogs are they are have they been doing those that much? I don't catch all I've the not seen them in a while. Because PFL I know started like doing yeah. that at some point and yeah, so I almost not, wonder if I'm not fucking do that. with it. Yeah. it. I just it, it throws me off. But just give me a regular card, man. That's yeah. all I need. Um, Anything else from the prelims, Dom? These are you can get these on YouTube, by the way. I think Perez and Barzola. I think that's a really, really good fight. Two guys, by the way, that had good runs all in all in the UFC. I should have said that for Barzola, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and like Perez, he even ended his UFC tenure on a three fight win streak. He had a year and a half layoff and then went to Combate and won two fights. But he is one and two in Bellator. He is coming off of a win, though. And Barzola, number 10 in the division at Bantamweight. He's fresh off of the Grand Prix. It's a chance for Perez to get his biggest win uh, against his biggest test in Bellator to get into their rankings. I just think that's actually a really, really good fight. So I'm looking forward to that one the most in the prelims. Speaking of Combate, when, when are they having a card again? They haven't had a card since, like, November. It has you know, been of a course, while. they're on Paramount+. Plus. Our, one of our hometown guys, Jimmy yeah. Sandlin, fought for them a few times. And I I saw a press release that they had like signed an extension with Paramount, Paramount Plus, but there was no announcement for any cards upcoming. I'm like, come on, man. It's been since November. Let's Give go. Something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Huh. Like, I'm trying to expand my horizons here, people. I mean, This is true. Anyways, let's get into some fight announcements, Dominic. Just a couple. 
to wet your whistle on this Wednesday. Bellator 295 from Hawaii in April on the 22nd. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll see a very interesting fight, Dominic. You you could take it. or I mean, some people may not be all that interested in who's fighting, but you should be. Ray Borg versus Kyoji Horiguchi fought at flyweight, 125 pounds. Mm. And why is this interesting? If you don't watch Bellator, you wouldn't know this, but Bellator does not have a men's flyweight division. So yeah. could this potentially be the start? Um, I hope so. I would sure hope so because <laughs> let's face it. Neither of these two guys should be fighting at flyweight. That's what's so funny about this is yeah. Ray Borg has killed himself time and time again to try to make this weight. Not a good choice. Horiguchi fought Demetrius Johnson for the uh, flyweight title way back in the day. He has yeah. looked much more filled out since then at Bantamweight. I don't love yep. the idea of him going back down. So that could be a shit show, but <laughs> I'm I was wondering – I'm seeing this. I'm like, man, are they introducing a division or is this just some weird agreement these two guys are making? Because I'm kind of looking at it like the only way these two should be fighting each other in the flyweight division is if this is for an inaugural title. But there was no announcement about that. Yeah, it doesn't make sense if they're just fighting at 125 for shits and giggles. Because neither guy easy. comfortably makes it. Yeah, like they could just be fighting for fun, quote unquote, at 135 and not drain their bodies. So there's got to be an there's got to be a reasoning well, behind yeah, this. Well, it's happening. not even just fighting for fun. Like at 135, you have actual rankings and a world title. And, and Horiguchi's you know, in the rankings. I'm pretty sure yeah, he's ranked like, in the top two. There's no reason to fight at 125 unless this is A, yeah. for the inaugural title, or B, the winner of this will fight for an inaugural title. Yeah, I, I would I would love if they did start a 125-pound division. Uh, it's grown on us. Well, really, we've always been there for it, and in the UFC, but now it's just, it feels like it's the most popular it's ever been, or just the most talented it's ever been in the UFC. And I want to see it be brought in to Bellator, to the PFL in the future. So I really hope that's the case. And I do hope both these guys successfully make weight, I guess as well. So we can see the fight. Yeah. Also for the fight announcements, Crone Gracie is back. I was just, did I, I remember him it. Yeah. Saturday saying yeah. what the hell happened to that guy? Well, Dominic, he's not getting an easy fight back. He's going up against Air Jordan, Charles Jordan, that is. UFC 288 on May 6th in New Jersey. And also, Misha Tate makes her return to the women's bantamweight division. But it ain't going to be easy. She goes up against the surging Maya Bueno Silva mm. on June 3rd. Yeah. So, Dominic, a couple fights that might go under the radar, mm. but pretty excited for both of these you know chrome gracie i'm just excited to see how he looks after such a long layoff his last time in was kind of a weird one very fun fight who was that against was that against jerry steven oh cub swanson october 12th 2019 yeah so this has been a, a wow. base close to a four-year layoff wow. i mean this is this is tatiana suarez territory but this guy yeah. from what i understand was not out due to you know severe injuries yeah, or whatever i don't know problem is you know what a jiu-jitsu ace this guy is and he decided to have like a kickboxing fight with cub swanson like took it as a challenge yeah didn't look bad but cub swanson did win pretty much every round of that fight and yeah easily coasted to a decision it was a really good fight though now he's coming back against charles jordan <sighs> I mean, I think that's a that's a fight oh. that's got violence written all over it. But if you're Gracie, you got to play it a little smarter than that. You can't fall yeah. for those games and find yourself in a firefight. Meanwhile, 
Misha Tate in an absolute must win if she wants to continue her UFC career. But she's going up against Myra Bueno Silva, who's like one of the, if you had the name a top prospect or a top uh, up and comer at 135 pounds, she's probably it. She's the only one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is a dangerous fight for Misha. Respect to her for taking it. But uh, this is, <clears throat> I mean, she's really going out on a limb here. And I'm not saying she can't win the fight, but this is risky when she could be fighting bigger names, other veterans in the same kind of boat as her. But no, she's taking on Myra Bueno Silva, who's coming into her all right now. She's entering her prime. She's just now entered the Bantamweight rankings. She's just on fire right now on a great win streak. I like this spot for Silva. We just talked about her a couple weeks ago, and you heard how high I was of her. It's not going to change here. I was big on Misha's return. That's obviously came down in the fights we've gotten to see from her. And it's going to probably keep coming down for me, unfortunately. But I like Meyer Buena Silva in this spot a lot. And it's just a great opportunity for her to get a big name girl like this that took it. I like it. Does it feel like for Misha that this is the better choice, though, to go back to 135? Or did you think her at 125 had legs or what? Um, I feel like... There, there's just so many young studs at women's flyweight, man. I just don't know how yeah. it would have went for her long term. So yeah, I just think matchup wise, kind of a shame she gets matched up against the one real stud yeah. or whatever you want to call it at women's bantamweight. Truthfully yeah. though, Dom, I'm not as high on Bueno Silva as you are. So I know. if um, I mean if this fight stays standing, I think Misha Tate actually could take this one. But uh, Bueno Silva, we know what she's going to try to do, and she does it very well. Get that fight to the ground, submit her. I think it is a missed opportunity, though. Maybe this fight just doesn't have the legs that I thought it would. But man, if she's going back to 135, why is Misha Tate not fighting Holly Holm? Like I feel like that's yeah. a fight that they should do. Yeah. Unfortunately, at the same time, I say that, but then they probably would make it a fight night headliner, and then I just wouldn't like it anymore. So it's for the know. best. It feels like a fight that they should just do, just because it's yeah. two bigger names in that division had a really good first fight. I mean, UFC seem to be dropping the balls on these rematches. Rose and Andrade uh, a third mm -hmm. time would have been great. I don't know. Just my thoughts. No, I like it. I do. Uh, but, Dominic, there's only one way we end the show around here, and that's with the little segment we like to call Closing Statements. The point of the show where me and Dominic can talk about anything and everything, MMA-related or not. So, Dominic, do you have any closing statements for this oh. Friday edition? I do, actually. I just thought about it from lunch today. If I'm not mistaken, you're a big like deli sandwich lunch meat fan, right? Sure. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know why I just talked that up. I thought you were a bigger fan. No, but I mean, I, no, I do eat. No, I tend to buy a lot of lunch meat and okay. eat a lot yeah. of sandwiches. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I just wanted to bring up the fact that the packaging on that shit is just uh, unbearable. It's getting to a point where I get really annoyed. The way that all the meat's intertwined in the packaging. And so I'm going to pick out a piece, but it's just going to rip instead. Or six pieces come out. I can never just get one piece to come out. And maybe... You buy different packaged meat because I know yeah. that they make it. You're talking, you, this is Hillshire Farms you're talking about. Sure, or a generic version, whatever the case may be. But the way that they put that shit all wrapped together, like it's one big slab of ham, and then I got to fight through, I got to pick this one out, but then I got to spread this piece out to pick one out. And if I don't do it the right way, it's going to rip or seven pieces are going to come out. I just, I can't with the way some of this deli meat is packaged. I just had to bring that up. And apparently, you are not on the same boat as me, and being that you're a lunch meat connoisseur, as my, as am I, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts. Oh, no, I thing. used to be in the same boat as you, and then I turned seven, 
and then I wasn't in the same boat as you anymore. You know, that hurt I mean, a little. <laughs> I mean, Dominic, are you kidding me? Like, why are you attacking this meat like a damn maniac? Like, I, I just... go in for the piece. I see the piece. I eye the piece. I go mm. in for that piece. But it can never come out in one piece. You just got to let it roll out a little bit. Be easy. Be gentle. Dominic, I know you're an aggressive guy. Like, you just... <laughs> You just yeah. want to get in there. Just get in that meat. You know, you just want to get you want to you want to beat that meat. <laughs> but you gotta have some self-control. You're right. If you beat the meat too much, it's gonna break. Yeah, that's or accurate. go raw. I don't know. So my advice to you. Just, next, just be gentle. Next time, just soft hands. I mean, Jesus Christ, dude. Like, I shouldn't have to tell you this. I'm not your fucking mom. Well, it's something I struggle with. <clears throat> I, I mean, I, obviously, you've been struggling with this for a very long time, I guess. I, I mean, mean, I did today for lunch. I <laughs> did used to get fits. I, I used to have literal freakouts as a six-year-old when I would try to make myself a sandwich. I was no wonder I got fat. My parents were letting me make my own food at six. I mean, was, <laughs> but I'd be making a sandwich. I keep ripping the ham, and I just yeah. be like I'd be so pissed. Yeah, and my mom's like, "Hey, dum dum, just do you see what I'm doing, dumb? Just can you show? That's me all you gotta hand? do. You just gotta mm, okay. Don't beat it. Play with it a little bit. Don't beat it. Just eat it." Sounds like some Michael Jackson lyrics, but uh, <laughs> well, I don't really have anything to follow that up. That, I mean, Dominic's food. This isn't even a food take. It's just yeah. a food of. I mean, you're you're all over the place with food. You know? I'd say that's accurate. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, I have nothing because mm. of that. That just threw me for a loop. But my name's yeah. Noah Baker. That's Dominic Slee. We are but just two of the below average Joes, and we'll see you guys on Monday. <laughs>